0: welcome to bible study great to see everybody tonight glad you're here and uh get moving here with our time, ask God's blessing on it, take a few minutes to pray. So let's pray. Father, thanks for uh, just the life that you give, and I thank you for an abundant life in you. And I pray that we'd be a people of life, we'd be a people of hope, we'd be a people, God, that would live our lives with an expectation of all the goodness that you are and all the goodness that you have for us. I pray that uh, we would look to you, Uh, you're the one, you're it. You're the author, you're the finisher, you're the alpha, the omega, you're the one who uh, just makes everything happen. And so we look to you, we ask God your blessing, we ask your leading tonight, we ask you to teach us, we pray God revelation, I as ask Father that this be a time where we draw closer and closer to Jesus. Uh, we give you this time, we give you this space, we give you God uh, these moments and we ask that you use them and that you anoint them. And I pray, God, you empower them so that, God, we'd be changed. We give you thanks tonight. Ask you to have your way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Reminder uh, for our podcast listeners that we have an interactive feature with Bible study, and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com That's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash Monday night Bible study, all one word. You go there to that webpage, and there's a button that you can toggle, and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail. And we'd love to hear from you. Could be just saying hi, or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. Could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message. And we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. If you have your Bibles, uh, let's open up to uh, the book of Acts. The book of Acts, chapter 26. The Acts of the Apostles. Chapter 26, and I need a volunteer to read verse 18.
1: To open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and place among those who are sanctified by faith in me.
0: Thanks. Read up uh, above that. Where is that taken from? What's going on here?
1: may mm. his only use the Lord so the rise and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of sin to grace so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me
0: thank you uh, anybody those words in red anybody's bible okay what does that mean oh jesus is talking all right so this is a recounting uh, that you have here where paul during his time He was just stuck in prison, and uh, the way that that worked was that he was placed into prison without a trial, and he was held there, because that just was what the people seemed to want, the Jewish leaders seemed to want. So he was uh, held in prison for two years, two years, without any real evidence against him and so i just want you to think about that he's just there it sounds kind of familiar to things you hear about now too sometimes but he was just in prison and there was no evidence really against him well there was no evidence they had a hearing nothing was found uh he wasn't found guilty of anything um he was just being held and so uh, after a while he finally appealed to caesar so that he could at least get out of jail. Uh, and after he appealed to Caesar, they were all like, well, we could have just let him go if he have just waited around another, what, two years? Then to get around to it? So he ended up appealing so he could just get out of there. But during the time that he was in jail, he had an opportunity to really witness for Jesus to people. He had an opportunity to speak to the different Roman Uh, romans that were in charge he also had opportunity to speak to the king who was visiting and to share his testimony and share what god done in his life share about jesus and so these are all opportunities that were presented to him because he was there and because of his situation and it's one of those things where you think about you know what his business was and what god's business was and all this and you think about the idea of kind of like we talked about recently about suffering and you look at suffering and you can look at it different ways you can see it different ways and understand it different ways but here's one of those times where paul is just in prison and yet through that god's opening up doors for him to speak to people that he wouldn't have had the opportunity to speak to at all uh, even through his appeal when uh, he was sent out and he was shipwrecked and all this stuff happened Along the way, when he got there, I mean, all the times he was able to witness to those people, all the places that he stopped, that he was able to see the believers. And then even in Caesar's household, the Bible talks about how members of Caesar's households were becoming Christians because Paul was there. And so we look at it, it's like, well, he's in jail wrongfully. That's true. He was in jail wrongfully. And yet, was that part of God's plan? Well, it appears so. Because people that you wouldn't normally, or he wouldn't normally, have seen or known or had the opportunity to speak to, he was able to share the gospel with, and people that he would have never had access to, if he was in a different circumstance or a different place, he was able to have access to within Caesar's household, and they became Christians because of that. So there, there were there was uh, these moments where you look at it. And you have to really marvel at God working through whatever circumstance, whatever situation that he found himself in and understanding that we can't harshly judge our situation all the time if it's not exactly what we want. Because I'm sure Paul would have rather not been in jail. Uh, I'm, sure, I'm sure of that. And yet it was through him being in jail that he had all these opportunities Kind of like when we were talking about Joseph being in jail in Egypt and how there were certain opportunities presented to him through that and through being in jail that he wouldn't have had otherwise. He would have never had access to Pharaoh's household if he hadn't have been in jail. He would have never had access to the cupbearer uh, of the Pharaoh if he hadn't been in jail. It would have never been known by Pharaoh that he could interpret dreams if he hadn't have been in jail. And so it was because he was in jail that ultimately, and this took years for this to happen, that the cupbearer who he interpreted a dream for remembered it years later or a year later and and told Pharaoh, hey, I know a guy that can interpret dreams. Well, he's in jail, but yeah, I met him there and and he can interpret dreams. And so Pharaoh called to him. He interpreted the dream and Pharaoh's like, all right, well, now you're in charge. He became second in charge of all of Egypt. Why? Because he was in jail. So he can't. Really look at that and say, well, every circumstance is bad just because we don't like it. And, and that's the truth. Because there are circumstances in our life that we're not going to like. But that doesn't mean it's not where we should be. And it doesn't mean that's not where God has for us to be. And it doesn't mean that, that that's not what God has for us to do. And so here's one of those examples. you got Paul in jail, but he's having this opportunity to speak to people he really wouldn't have the opportunity to speak to. He's able to share the gospel with people that he wouldn't have the opportunity to share the gospel with. I mean, these are kings and pro-councils and all these people that that really were higher-ups within the government of the, the the region that he was in that he had absolute access to in order to speak the truth and to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that's what he's doing. And so, as a little reminder, and I guess a, a little tie-in to some of the things we've been talking about, is this idea that we get put into situations that sometimes are uncomfortable. That we could look at and say, well, this is one of those suffering moments. Well, it may be. But it's also maybe one of those moments that opens up a door that, man, we can never open ourselves. Or we can never orchestrate, or we can never make happen ourselves. And that's what God is doing through it. He's opening up the opportunity in a way that we couldn't have done so that we could do the stuff that he's called us to do. So Paul here, as he's describing this situation, he's talking about very specifically his call and Jesus calling him. And as you know, if you know the story of Paul, when he was Saul, he was on his way to Damascus to arrest a bunch of people and to break up the church because that's what he was doing at the time. And on his way there, he was knocked off his horse, struck blind, and Jesus appeared to him in a vision. And he heard the voice of Jesus. And, and so it was during that moment and during the words that were spoken over him that there was a very specific call that was given over him for his life. And so he's described that he's retelling the story. Now I want to, I want to say this and hopefully you can understand what I'm saying. Jesus is the gospel. Jesus came to be the gospel. He is the good news. He didn't just talk about it. He didn't just write about it. He is the gospel. Now all the writers of the epistles that come after him, including the apostles and and all the ones that helped write the New Testament, they could write about it. They could describe it, they could write about it, they could talk about it, but Jesus didn't come to talk about it necessarily, although he did talk about it, but that wasn't the main reason he came. The main reason he came was to be it. He is the gospel. And so understanding that and understanding that Jesus is central to our understanding of the gospel. First of all, he came to be the gospel. Secondly, he came to speak is to understand the nature of what it means to have faith, because that describes the situation in that Jesus is the center in his being, not just his words. Now, we as New Testament Christians, Especially living when we live and having the age that we live in, we put a premium on the words. In fact, we make the words red. Some of your words, yeah, these words are red, right? So that you, they're calling attention to the words. Those are the words of Jesus. Nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. But we put a premium on the words and sometimes I think neglect the more important thing because the more important thing is the person of jesus he is the gospel and so if we're going to really put our faith put our trust and all that that means and we're going to direct that somewhere it needs to be directed at the person of jesus rather than the red words in the book the red words in the book are important but they're not nearly as important as the person of jesus the red words in the book point to the truth and speak and and describe the truth but jesus is the truth and so if we're going to adhere ourselves to anything and i mean really adhere ourselves like like grab hold of take hold of and really mean it if we're going to take hold of anything it needs to be the person of jesus not the red words of jesus but the person of jesus now do i read the red words yeah i mean i listen to what he says i listen to what's been said what's been written i listen to the sermons that he preached i listen to all those things or i read all those things and all those things are important but they pale in comparison to the importance of his person his living person that i have the opportunity not only to take hold of but i have the opportunity to share my life with that is the key that is the central thing and the central part of the gospel because if you look at the story of paul's conversion what is centered to paul's conversion jesus the person of jesus is who speaks to him that day who reveals him that day who calls to him that day it's the person of jesus that's central to his conversion it was it wasn't the the written accounts all right new testament hadn't been written yet it wasn't the red words there were no red words yet it was understand me though because this is so foreign to evangelicals is so foreign to us as evangelical Christians because we have like this little Bible worship thing that we do be careful of that because I mean whole generations of believers have come and gone not having access to that and yet somehow they were able to live somehow they were able to grow in their faith somehow they're able to be changed by the power of the Holy Spirit because they knew the person of Jesus in their life because he's the central part of it So Paul, when he was going to be converted, he was converted not by a logical argument. He wasn't converted by someone convincing him of something, someone writing down the right words or speaking the right words or anything like that. He was converted through a meetup with the person of Jesus. That's what happened. Literally, that's what happened. And, And I mean... As eloquent as Paul is in writing and as many words as he's written down and how God used him to help write the whole New Testament, central, at least half the New Testament, central, central to his change and to who he was and empowering him to do the things that he did was his personal meeting with Jesus. And that needs to be true for us too. Because all the rest of that stuff, that reinforces it. All the rest of that stuff helps us to understand things better. All the rest of that stuff might help us to to learn and to grow or whatever it is, or to bring understanding to things that we see and hear. And yet, that's not the central thing. The central thing is Jesus. And we really have to take hold of that. And I mean that. Like I, I know I've said this before, and I know I've gone over this before, but... This is really key. This is really bottom line, basic, key stuff. If we're going to be the people God wants us to be, if we're going to grow and we're going to become the people God wants us to be. If we're going to be the church God wants us to be, if we're going to be the individual God wants us to be, if we're going to be the family and the family that God wants us to be in, it's going to be because Jesus is at the center of that. And Jesus is real to me. That I put my trust in him. That I believe him. And that when he leads me, I listen because I trust him. When he reveals something to me, he says something to me, I, I trust him and I'll do it and I'll receive it. But that's central to who we got to be. That was central to who Paul had to be. That's central to who we have to be. That's central to the apostles, the disciples. All of Jesus' disciples, I mean, you think about that. All those disciples, I mean, they didn't really have anything else. What did they have? They had their relationship. They had their experience. They had their life shared with Jesus. That's what they had. And and these guys who were uneducated, but God used them to, to really change the known world, it was because of their experience with and their relationship with Jesus. It was that simple. It's not through an abundance of knowledge. It's not. It's through a real and honest relationship and experience with him in our lives. That's how things get done in the kingdom. Am I anti-education? No. Learn, 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 but that's not what changes the world. The person of Jesus changes the world. So, we look here and there's a specific call that goes forth in Saul's life, Paul's life. And the words of Jesus that you can read there, the ones in the red in your version, the words of Jesus, they're the seed from which all of those epistles spring. And if you look at the words there, you can see it. You can see, I mean, like just everything that was said there. Opening of eyes, yeah. Uh giving a choice to turn, yeah. Faith, yeah. Darkness to light, okay. Power of Satan to God, received by faith, forgiveness, and inheritance. I mean, you look at that and you look at those words of Jesus. I just I just outlined that just quick. But I want you to think about those words. The epistles spring from those words. That's the seed. But the seed was given in a moment in a personal experience meeting the person of Jesus that's how that seed was planted in him and whatever sprang from that sprang from that but you got to understand where it came from it came from an encounter it came from here and the, the, this was a kind of how long did this last three minutes maybe less two minutes we don't know but it wasn't that long wasn't it wasn't that long, but from that sprang half the New Testament writings. From that moment, and I mean, we have reason to believe that Paul spent time in the presence of Jesus after this, and Paul, uh, you know, had an opportunity where God taught him, and he was taught of the Spirit in the wilderness, and all these things. We got reason to believe that. But the bottom line is, everything that Paul would really base his epistles on. All the truths that he would take and he would expand upon and he would write in his epistles about are contained in the seed of what Jesus says in his life right here in this spot. Amazingly, that was it. Well, that was all that was needed. Because there's something about him, alive and well, right in front of us and with us. There's something about that that is life-changing and powerful. Somebody look at 2 Corinthians 6.1. 2 Corinthians 6.1.
1: As God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it.
0: All right, so... There, there comes this revelation that we are co-laborers, or as I said, partners. We're co-laborers with Christ. But that comes through us understanding our relationship to him. That comes from us spending time in his presence. That comes from us being with him close to him by him empowered by him hearing him listening to him spending time with him that that revelation comes into our life that we are co-laborers with him his choice his choice that he wants us to co-labor with him he wants us to partner with him he wants us to work with him well he's here He's in me. He's in you. He's in us as we gather in the name of Jesus. He's ready, willing, able to to work. And really the recognition of the co-laborer is this on our part. The recognition that we're here with him and we go about doing stuff with him, that's on us to recognize that. That's on us to lean on that. That's on us to believe God for that. That's on us to trust in that. That's really on us to take a hold of that truth and actually live it out. That's on me. That's on you. Co-laborer. I find that fascinating that we have the opportunity to co-labor with Jesus. Or just do it yourself. And there's a bunch of people out there. Oh, good. I'll do it myself. Yeah, you kind of missed the point. Yeah, you kind of miss the point. You are inadequate by yourself. He's the adequate one. (laughs) He's offering you the opportunity to co-labor with him. He's the one that's actually adequate at it. So we kind of just hook in with him. We're doing good. Why? Because he's good. It's not the other way around. And we're just figuring things out and we're taking hold of the best business model we can find out there in the world today. And we can take hold of the best techniques on marketing and we take hold of the best techniques on how to draw people in and we take hold of the best techniques on how to retain people retain customers, however you want to call them. And we're going to just, we're going to do a great job. That, no, that's inadequate. As good as all that stuff could possibly be which I don't think it is, but it could be. It's inadequate because he's the one that's adequate. And so we need to join in with him. What's he doing? That's far more important, far more important than whatever I think I'm going to do. So I need to join in with what he's up to. I need to co-labor with him. I need to partner with him. And get on board what he's up to and what he's doing because i I've been in churches I mean been intimately involved in churches they do all the stuff I just mentioned they do all that stuff they got the marketing down they got customer retention down they got how to how to you know keep people, how to keep families, how to draw certain demographics, what you need to do to draw those demographics. They got all that down. They'll tell you all about it. You can take courses in it. You can go, you can learn all that stuff. That's awesome. In fact, they had an opportunity, and I've told this story before, I'm gonna tell it again, an opportunity to to sit down with the international leader of one of the biggest organizations that do that. It was just one day and there there was a bunch of us. We'd gone to this meeting out in uh out in Los Angeles. Or maybe it was Anaheim. Whatever. Out there somewhere. And we'd gone to this meeting and there was just a bunch of guys like me. You know, we were just young and nobody was pastoring a mega church. We were just in our little churches and Making disciples and doing stuff, and and all week, man, the guy was just asking us questions about, well, what do you do, or what does it look like, or how does it look, or what's happening, what are you seeing, what do you think is important, those kind of questions. And for a whole week, I mean, it was it was me, it was a bunch of people, just answering his question. And I remember that Friday, we we're gonna fly out Saturday morning, and it was a Friday, it was one of the last sessions and he's just sitting up front man you could tell he's thinking and he's all pensive and everything and i'm i assure you this guy was in charge of the worldwide ministry of what i'm talking about and it was huge music flows out of it you know exactly who it is if i said it music flows out of it uh, materials flow out of it it's it's a big organization big churches mega churches it's an it's a organization of mega churches and as he sat up there and whether he'd ever admit this or not, I have no idea. I, it wasn't recorded, probably. It was just the 30 of us guys and him sitting in the room. And he's in a chair up front. He's like, I, I, I don't like what I do. He's like, because I'm in charge of an organization that we could just as well be a Kiwanis Club or a Rotary Club as we could a church. Because all the techniques that we use, you could use in a Rotary Club and build a really bitchin' Rotary Club. I, I don't think this is what Jesus wants. And we were just all sitting there like, what? What did we do? What did we do? And he quit. He's quit. He reached the pinnacle within our organization, he had reached the pinnacle of that organization and he just quit he went and started a little church in Ohio somewhere because that's what he really said this is really what God wants us to do we're not building a rotary club we're not building an elks club we're not building any of the moose club we're not building any of those nothing wrong with any of those by the way been in some nice moose clubs and elks clubs <laughs> But that's not what we're doing. We're building the church. And if we're going to build the church, we've got to get a hold of how you do that. How you do that, you co labor with Jesus to do that. That's how it happens. You get a hold of Jesus, and you you say, All right, you get up alongside him and say, All right, now let's partner together. What are you up to? What are you up to? Because I'm going to tell you something. um, don't give a rip what you're up to, okay? What are you up to, Jesus? And let's get in with that. So, Paul thought he was doing the Lord's will, right? He was persecuting the church, chasing them down from house to house, synagogue to synagogue, putting them in jail. Some of them were being stoned to death. He was consenting to their deaths. He thought he was doing God's will. And he had plenty of religious people backing him up, that he was doing God's will. I mean, just ask. Ask your average Pharisees. Paul doing God's will? Yeah, he was doing God's will. He was doing the will of the Lord, chasing down the church and putting those people in jail. Until Jesus showed up. Because opinions vary, right? Opinions vary about what God's will is. You want to argue with me about God's will? Go ahead. I don't know. You know, I can tell you what I think God's will is. You can tell me what you think God's will is, blah, blah, blah. We can argue all about it. You know, Jesus can solve this issue. Jesus can solve it. Because when we start to co-labor with him, then we get in the middle of what God's doing. Yeah. Yeah, That that's just, yeah, argument's over. What's left to ponder? I mean, that's it. That's what Jesus is doing. Let's do what Jesus is doing. Paul knocked off his horse. He's blind. Now remember, he's blind. Jesus speaking to him. Gives him a specific call. In other words, I'm calling you right now to co-labor with me. This is what I have for you to do. This is what we're going to do together. And he gives him that opportunity. Wow. But he gives you that opportunity he gives me that opportunity he doesn't have to knock you off your horse and make you blind but he might have to challenge whatever your idea about what you think you're supposed to be doing is because maybe what you think you're supposed to be doing isn't what God has for you to do just saying because that was Paul I mean he was very religious very tied in with the religious institution very tied in with important people very tied in with what was going on in the world at that time when it came to god's stuff very tied in but he was totally wrong that's what god had for him and so it was the this moment of actually taking the time with jesus and you know to be truthful jesus kind of forced this moment didn't he yeah he knocked him off the horse brings a revelation to him pretty much tells him this is what i have for you to do this is what we're going to do together this is our co-labor together and gives him an opportunity to do that but he gives us that opportunity too so I want you to think about that for a second so the first thing he says he uh, he talks about opening eyes now interestingly Jesus is telling Paul he's gonna be opening eyes what did I just say Paul was blind he was blind now there's a theme through Paul's writing about opening eyes and bringing sight to the blind if, you're, if you read the epistles, you'll see that theme throughout the epistles. Why do you think that is? Because he's blind, right? He's blind. And so he knows what that is. And so, so this physical blindness that he's going through right now, after he's, he's knocked off his horse, this physical blindness, it's representative of spiritual blindness that he had been living in his whole life. He was able to put that together. I don't know that it took a genius to put that together, but he put it together. Right then, it's like, yeah, in the same way I can't see, in the same way I don't know where I'm going, in the same way I'm not sure who I'm talking to, in the same way I'm being led around by the hand, in the same way I'm being led around, don't know where exactly I am, and I'm stumbling, and all the rest of those kind of things. Well, that was his condition spiritually. It was. And I think he was able to put that together during this moment, during these times, because he didn't receive his sight right away. He got led through the city. Somebody had to come and pray over him. And when they prayed over him, the Bible describes it as like scales fell off his eyes and he was able to see. But it wasn't instantaneous. He got to live blind for a little while. He got to know what that feels like physically. And I I would have to... really, really assume that he was able to put that into a spiritual understanding. That here he had been persecuting the very person that he's now going to partner with. How blind was he? He was blind. Couldn't see. Could not see. And I think that he really began to understand that. So we look at Ephesians one sixteen. Ephesians one sixteen. I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Thanks. That really wasn't what I was looking for. No, but that's all I have right here is Ephesians one sixteen. That's all I wrote down. But in throughout the epistles, he talks about this idea of enlightening, and instructing, and for what that is, because as I said before, the object of our faith is Jesus. He's the object of our faith. What's Ephesians one eighteen? okay thanks yeah so the idea of an opening of eyes and enlightenment kind of using that and we'll look at it probably a couple more of those but it occurs over and over again in the epistles and every time you read that i want you to think about it was written by a guy that was blind at least for a little while and he understands it and he really has a uh, I understand what it means to, to have to depend on others and to not be able to see. Uh, some of you know my story. I was blind for a little while when I was a kid. Um, I was a, I was only blind in one eye, but they wouldn't let me. I couldn't use my other eye. I had stuck a pencil in my eye when I was 10. It was pretty disgusting. And so uh, I ended up in the hospital for two weeks and uh they did something i don't know what they did but i couldn't move my head so i had sandbags on the sides of my head and both my eyes were covered because they didn't want me using one eye and straining it does this make any sense and so they had both my eyes covered so i couldn't see so i had to get up go to the bathroom and stuff people had to help me and anywhere i went so after the two weeks which is a really long time for a 10 year old not be able to move their head in the hospital Uh, I, I, they sent me home and I still, they wouldn't let me, um, they wouldn't let me see out of my eyes. So I was, I was pretty blind. I mean, I, I could, I'm trying to remember how long I was like that. Probably a month I was like that. And there's just something that I can't describe about it. And there's something that I don't know how to explain to you. But there's something very humbling about that. And there's something very helpless about it. Because I, I really didn't have time to adjust. You know, you adjust quick usually. but And I know I was adjusting somewhat. But I didn't really have time to adjust to, you know, or my other senses start picking up things better or anything like that. I was just pretty helpless. And uh, and that's not to say blind people are helpless. Because I see blind people moving around doing all kinds of stuff. If you have time to do it, if you have time to adjust to it, I just didn't have time. I was, I was too it wasn't long enough but interestingly like there's something about that that sticks with you and there's something about it that i think is a is a teaching moment for us that must have been a teaching moment for him and so when i read stuff in the epistles about him talking about spiritual enlightenment or or opening the eyes of your heart or whatever was just in there and I read that kind of stuff, it's like, yeah, because he knows what that is. He knows what it is just to be led around. He knows what it is just to have to depend on others, to get anywhere, or do anything. He knows that feeling. And so when he speaks of eyes being opened, he's also speaking of empowerment. That That's God empowering us to see. It's God empowering us to, to gain an understanding, God empowering us to gain a revelation, God empowering us to, to take hold of all the stuff that he has for us, to be able to see that and experience that and to be in the midst of that. And to me, that there's just something powerful about it that maybe we don't pick up on if we're not really thinking in these terms, but we, we kind of should. 'Cause I mean, you got Paul being led around by the hand until he's prayed over. You know, you get Ananias over there to pray over. There's something joyful. And I can only imagine the joy of being able to see again with him. So the object of our faith. Is Jesus. We believe in Jesus, not doctrine or tenets or, or whatever you want to call them. We believe in Jesus. And that might sound quaint or that might sound silly. It might sound naive. But it's really the truth. We just believe in Jesus. Do we have some statements of faith? Yeah. Do we have some... Some things like priorities. Yeah. Do we have some values? Yeah, we do. We got things that, that we've written down that we say. Yeah. Those to describe, you know, who God says that we are. We got those things. But the object of our faith is Jesus. Is Jesus. Cause if you got faith, you know, other people, now I know, you know, we love people and, And all that people are going to fail if you're looking for the perfect person and you look beyond jesus you're going to be disappointed everybody fails so that fails organizations fail people fail it's just the way it is And, and i'm not saying we don't trust we do trust i'm not saying we don't serve we do serve i mean all those things are true but there's one that is the object of our, the central object of our faith, and that's Jesus. The Bible tells us that He gives us a choice. And that's what, that's part of the, uh, the call of Paul, is that Paul was to give people a choice, that they might turn. Doesn't say they have to turn, but they may turn. And so you want to offer a clear choice. That was part of what Paul was given the opportunity to do, is to go out and to offer a choice. Faith is very basic understanding. In this context that we're using tonight, faith is trust. That's what it is. It's trust. And so faith is trust in Jesus. Jesus is the gospel. So Jesus is the gospel. Our faith is is a trust in him in the person of jesus it's a personal trust in him now why is that different maybe than what you were thinking i just want you don't have to answer me but i just want you to think about that for a second when you think of faith and maybe you don't think in very specific terms but when you think of faith i want you to think about well how does that actually play out what does that actually mean what does that actually look like and for most people i run across it's like well faith is kind of this ambiguous concept but faith really isn't an ambiguous concept it's a if you can bring it down to the very root of what it is it's a personal trust in jesus and a personal trust in the person of jesus That's why faith in him or personal trust in him is key to everything else that we're going to do. And the only reason we even have an opportunity for that personal trust in him is because he first loved us. And we get the opportunity to love him back some. And we get the opportunity to place a personal trust in him. But that's a very tangible thing. Because what that means is that when he speaks, that we actually trust what he says and do it. See, that's tangible. And if you find yourself arguing about it, you probably don't have a lot of personal trust in him. If you find yourself ignoring it, you likely don't have a lot of personal trust in him. If you find yourself just doing whatever you want to do anyhow, you probably don't have a lot of personal trust in him. And that is faith. And so if our faith is weak, well, then it's weak. But at least we need to know that. If our trust level is low, then we need to know that. I'm not suggesting that you pretend otherwise. I'm not uh, suggesting that you pretend that you got all this trust or you got all this faith when you don't, because that does no one any good. But the bottom line is that at least we can look at it and we can say, all right, this is where I'm actually at with this. Let's see if we can grow this some. Let's see if we can expand this some. Let's see if we can get this a little bit deeper than what I've really been experiencing in my life. Because, I mean, most most people that I know growing up that were professing Christians, I don't know how much faith they really had. I have no idea. But I'll tell you this, that what, the people that I was around when I was a kid, that I didn't want anything to do with the church at all it was enough for me to be like "Mm, no I can't say that I ever stopped believing in Jesus I can't say that but I sure didn't want anything to do with the people and I know that that maybe that's harsh and maybe I get judged for saying that or whatever it is but man I just wanted nothing to do with it and it took a while to come back around to a place where number one my faith centered in the person of Jesus but I had to come to that place in my life and that was through a revelation that he brought into my life one night boom there I could hear him I could see him there's a revelation that happened I put a trust into him that night and that's a personal faith so then the rest of that equation that bothered me as a kid, the rest of that equation that seemed so important to me up until that moment just didn't seem that important anymore. Just didn't. Because I grabbed hold of the the kernel. I grabbed hold of the central part of the gospel, and that's Jesus. Not the trimmings, not the stuff around it, not the things that people say, not the things that people are acting out or anything else like that. It's the central kernel of the gospel is him. And once I got a hold of him, and I put my trust in him, then the rest of that stuff was not nearly as important as I thought it was. And so he said, uh, and, and I'll say this, that faith lives in a place of opposition to sight. Now, I know we're talking about blindness a little bit. But faith lives in a place of opposition to sight. And, and to understand that, you just have to think about it a little bit. But if you can see it, feel it, touch it, smell it, you got a lot of faith or you got a lot of, of observation. You see the difference between those two things? You see, faith requires, requires, requires. Us to live beyond sight. And maybe it was Paul's blindness, his temporary blindness, that helped him to be able to do that. Because he believed in Jesus, and he put his trust in him, his personal trust in him, before he could see with his eyes. So maybe that was an important step for him in learning to trust Jesus in learning what faith was really all about. So Paul's recovery from blindness, you see this section here, it says you're going to bring him from darkness to light. Yeah, that's the recovery. That's common imagery, but it's particularly personal to Paul. Paul became a Christian by divine revelation and divine power. He became a Christian by meeting up with Jesus and trusting him. That's what happened. So last section here uh, that Jesus says over Paul as part of his call is this says that we're gonna you know deliver people from the power of Satan to God, and the the idea of power of Satan is talking about his dominion, like where he actually has any authority and where he exercises that authority at. Let's look at some verses if I have them written down correctly, Colossians one thirteen. Colossians 1:13, one thirteen, First Peter two nine, and Ephesians two two. Let's start with Colossians one thirteen. Thanks. And so Paul personally came out of darkness and regained his sight. First Peter
1: 2.9. For you were a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who
0: called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. All right, thanks. Ephesians 2.2. 2. And those are All right, thanks. So, Paul, and what's being described through Paul and Peter here, uh, is this idea that there's power of Satan, uh, the power of the adversary, that the ruler, or the prince of the powers of the air, however he's described here, but it's this idea of darkness. And so what Jesus has spoken over Paul from the very beginning is that he would bring people and deliver people from that power of darkness into the light, into the kingdom of of God's dear Son. So that, that was a real part of the call, specifically, that Paul would have. And you see that a few times in the ministry of Paul where uh you'll see deliverance that goes on yeah uh not sometimes people didn't like that like uh he, just different times where there, there are people that could do certain things and paul just gets sick of it and uh it'd be done well nobody likes that because they could make money off of whatever was going on but that was part of what he did uh there's a magician that was on an island that was in a, in a, an area that had influence over the governor of the area and paul silenced him by he the, he says you're going to be blind for a few days and you're going to wander around and you're not going to know what's going on and i think that's super interesting that he would say that over the guy uh but bringing that guy from that place of blindness back into a light well isn't that paul's story Isn't that Paul's story? This guy thinks he's working under whatever power he's working under. This guy thinks he's he's saying and doing the things that he's supposed to be doing, and yet Paul's like, well, you're just going to be blind for a little while. We'll see what your perspective is after that. Yeah. Because what was his perspective after that? Totally different. Totally different. And so he trusted in Jesus. And so we receive by faith now I put that in quotes because i think we use that phrase a lot as christians but i don't know that it means a lot to us we receive by faith I mean, by trusting in jesus let's say that okay so what do we receive by by trusting in jesus we receive forgiveness we see forgiveness is connected to trusting in jesus is connected to it. And what else do we receive? We receive a place, an inheritance. And that's connected to trusting in Jesus. That's our relationship with Him. One last verse Acts 20 and verse 32. see that inheritance is is our future and our present that that we're heirs so we're heirs of whatever's coming but we're heirs right now so we're the heir of whatever that means so it speaks to our present and it speaks to our future but is tied to and connected to A personal trust in Jesus. Your present and your future are connected to that. Your forgiveness and living in forgiveness is connected to your relationship and your personal trust in Him. So all of these all of these models that tell you, well, you gotta get all cleaned up before you can come into the presence of Jesus. That's backwards that's really messed up because I know that that's popular religious wise but that's not really what we have as an example that's not what Jesus talked about the forgiveness is tied to a personal trust in Jesus the personal trust in Jesus what leads to forgiveness in our life the personal trust in Jesus what leads to our present and our future in, in him but it starts with that personal trust it starts in his presence you know, all the people that Jesus came across during his ministry, they didn't get go get cleaned up before uh, they met him. He engaged them while they were still dirty. He engaged the leper while the leper was still a leper. He engaged the the tax collector while the tax collector was still a tax collector. He engaged the prostitute while the prostitute was still a prostitute and the wine-bibber was still wine-bibbing, and the glutton was still eating. That's when he engaged them. That, that, that whole model of trying to get ourselves clean to be in God's presence is completely contradictory to the life and ministry and the example of Jesus. we got to stop that. Religion says that. Jesus doesn't religion tells you that you got a you got self-effort and you got all this stuff you got to do yourself and and jesus is saying you need to trust him and it's through trusting him that all of these other things are connected but it starts centrally with a trust in the person of jesus christ and that's where we need to start and everything that we're going to do that's going to matter is going to be a co-labor with him in whatever he's doing. What are you doing, God? Join up. Get with him. Co-labor. Partner. That's all the great stuff we're ever going to do. He's going to be a co-labor and a partnership with him. Let's take a few minutes to pray. And I just want to encourage you that... You know, let's start at the beginning here. Paul describing stuff, but let's start at the beginning here. He's a great example of this. There needs to come a moment where we're just going to trust Jesus. And after that moment's there and we find ourselves trusting in him, then that's going to be played out through our life, through us listening to him and doing what he says, through us being responsive to him through us laying aside the things that we think are important, the things that we want to do, and taking hold of the things that he's doing. And if we can't do those things, then likely we don't have a lot of trust. And it's best to know that than to pretend otherwise. That if you're you're just set on doing whatever you want to do, you may not have a lot of faith. All right. All right, you know that. <clears throat> let's let's start there then it's like the guy you know saying Jesus I always thought this is a funny statement it's like you know I want to believe help my unbelief yeah well it's one of those moments right <laughs> I want to believe so help my unbelief alright so father I, I pray for us tonight and I thank you that there there's a reality to where we are I mean, there's a truth to our personal trust in you and how deep that goes and what that really means. Because we, we all have our own thinkings and we all have our own dreamings and we all have our own whatever it is that uh, we, we consider for our lives and for the future and all the rest of those kind of things. We've, we've all considered those things, but when it comes right down to it, you're the object of our faith and you're the object of our trust. And so, Jesus, I, I just ask that we could take an honest look as to where we are in relation to you and our trust in you. I mean, just real. A reality. A reality of what that really means in our life. A reality of what that manifests in our life. A reality of what that means practically to our daily decisions. A reality of what that means practically to our plans for the future a reality to what that means that we're willing to accept or give up or take hold of or whatever it is. God, there's a reality to that. And so I pray tonight that we could grab hold of the truth of where we're at with you. Because regardless, we just want to grow in that. We want to grow in our our life with you. We want to grow in our trust with you. want to grow on what faith actually looks like. And how it's actually lived out. Help us, God. Help us. Help us lay down stuff that doesn't matter. And really take hold of trust in you. Help us to lay down things that we thought were important, but aren't. I pray that we could just trust you. I to lay down what very important things that, that we think are so important, but I just ask you that we could find trust in you. I want to trust you tonight, God. I want to trust you tonight, Jesus. And if that's the cry of your heart, just just tell him that just pray that uh, allow that to happen in your spirit toward him in your heart toward him let that be a cry of your heart to him that you just want to trust him you want to know him you want to trust him you want him central the object of your faith and you tell him, it's like i want that i want to trust you more I want to trust you more tonight. I want to trust you more deeply. I want to trust you with the big things in my life. I want to trust you with the little things in my life. I just want to trust you. I want to go where you're going. I want to do what you're doing. I want to partner with whatever is happening with you, Jesus. I want to co-labor. That's what I'm looking for. That's what I want. And if you're willing to To tell him that tonight, I just believe he's going to honor that. I just do. I just believe he's going to honor that big in our lives. Yeah, Yeah. thank you, Jesus. Yeah. Thanks, God. Thanks, God. Love you, Jesus. Mm. Love you, Jesus. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yeah. Uh, Thank you for uh, just being the middle of everything. Thank you for being the object of and the central thing. And so tonight, I just ask that you raise up a church where Jesus is just the focus, the middle, the main thing. Yeah. We commit ourselves to you, we commit ourselves to your call and to your vision. We commit ourselves to the work that you're doing as co-laborers. We ask God that you would have your way in our lives, in our lives together. We give you thanks tonight. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Let's agree by saying, "Amen." Amen.
1: UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. Yo, know, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know? He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community, like the comunidad. So yeah, There's a lot of people. Yeah.